no matter how many people you have, you're probably the leader in some way, shape or form. And everything you do, everything you say, and the energy you give off in in the room, on the calls, whatever, has a huge amount of impact. Yeah, I like this energy. Side Alvin, when his wife says, I want another kid. Yeah, I like this energy. You do need to put in some outsized effort to get ahead at the end of the day, because it's just the way it is. And I think I got to the point where I just, I don't care whether someone thinks that I might sound stupid or not. My advice would basically be to anybody thinking about starting a business. And I think that would be, again, one of my biggest bits of advice. I think the key thing is once you start telling people what you're going to do, especially when you're starting from ground zero, you will be amazed if you ask for help or if you ask for intros, or even if you just start telling people how many people want to help you succeed and win. And I definitely wasn't expecting that. So I'm Alex Packham, I'm 32 and based in London, UK and have lived in London for about 11, 12 years now, something like that. Yeah, so in terms of background, I mean, I grew up in the UK, I've kind of grew up mostly in the South Southwest and where do I start? I grew up in a town called Winchester, which not many people will know unless you've been in and around the UK, but it's a small town like an hour away from London. And yeah, studied there, very interested in business from a young age, like most entrepreneurial kind of backgrounds and stories for whatever reason. So just really fascinated by just the hustle of it, I suppose, in the first instance, but then just like the concepts of flipping things for cash and building products and just kind of getting my head around the whole concept of the dynamics of business and all the different angles to explore, probably from the age of like 14. So quite young, just in terms of that and always fascinated by making money and stuff. So That kind of stuff always played into my mindset from quite a young age. And again, from like a sort of growing up perspective, yeah, grew up in Winchester, went to university in a place called Cardiff, which is the capital of Wales. And again, I'd say my studies, whether that was in high school, right the way through to university over here, always had business as a key theme just because it was something I was just so fascinated by. And then the more I studied it, the more interested I was, the more I wanted to learn. And then eventually, obviously, actually start thinking about starting a business and stuff like that. So Fast forward to university days, 2010-11, and social media marketing was very, very new. I managed to plug myself into that scene at a very young age. I think I was like 19, 20, and just studied the concept of how people were making purchase decisions on Facebook and things like that. And yeah, without going into like the whole journey now, that was really, I suppose, where the genesis of my career started, you know, fascinated by how social media basically influenced purchase decisions. And I subsequently went on to run social media for two really large brands here in the UK and then built an agency running social media for large brands and small businesses. And then that span into the journey of Content Cow. Like I said, from a very young age, always been interested in business, totally fascinated by it and remain so even at the ripe old age of 32. Nice. Yeah. Thank you for that quick like synopsis. I think that kind of helps. But you were saying that main company that you started, you had... I guess a background in working with bigger companies and the company that you actually started was called Content Cow and you did that in I guess about 2016 so I guess 5 6 years ago that's the company that you built up and eventually sold That's right yeah that's right we originally actually started as an agency so if I go into a bit more detail the two corporate roles I had were fascinating because the first one which was fresh out of university where I'd already built up like a a kind of freelance portfolio of managing social profiles, literally community management, paid media advertising on social content writing, etc. But when it was all really, really new, 
And my first role in a kind of corporate was in the UK's biggest cinema chain. So you're dealing with like really fun, rich content with like film and movies and general entertainment. So it's an amazing, it was an amazing place to go and learn how entertaining content could be really brought to life for like business benefit for a cinema chain to, you know, go and attract moviegoers basically. And then my second corporate gig called Now TV, which was at the time uh, very new in terms of bringing basically premium TV. So, you know, we have cable in the States, we have like satellite TV here in the UK, premium TV content, but for the first time for this big brand called Sky. Is it Sky Network? Yeah, B Sky B Sky Network, exactly. I don't know, like 20 million people or something like that. I can't remember the numbers have like a Sky subscription. So over the UK, it's a big business. Yeah, even in the US, that I think that's where like a lot of soccer games were originally. And we still get that even in the US. So that's the only reason uh, I even knew that. So Okay, cool. Yeah, I mean, they basically wanted to go and bring this content to people through the internet effectively on like cheaper subscriptions. So bundle up sports, maybe it's movies, rather than having like whole premium packages and bring that to life over the, literally over the web, just like you'd have on Netflix and stuff. And Netflix was brand new in the UK at the time. So I joined this kind of department within Sky, where there was 40 of us in a room, small teams. So I was in the social team, but small teams building this over the top, it was called internet service provider to basically bring this awesome content with, like I said, it was sports or movies, but through the internet. And when I left Now TV and Sky, it was over a thousand people. It had grown phenomenally in such a short space of time and gone from basically zero to I think the stat that I always remember was 90% of the UK when I left would have known what the brand was. And I can't remember the subscriber numbers, but it was huge. So you can imagine like going from 40 people to 1,000. It's like joining a startup. And I just got an amazing buzz out of that process and just was so much fun and so exciting. And again, movie content, sports content, all that kind of stuff on social media plays out really well. It's really fun to work on. And then you said you started Content Cal. And so, yeah, what is Content Cal? Yeah, so we originally actually started an agency. So my first thing, I mean, I was only 24. So I, I kind of wanted to go out and, and I was had enough of corporate growth and just the whole kind of corporate thing. And I built an agency first for about two years. And my first two clients or my first two big clients were Sky and the cinema chain. So I was very, very lucky to like build those relationships. And then I worked with 50 to 60 small to medium sized businesses, plus some more big brands thrown in. So the kind of learning I had from both the corporate experience and then running an agency, which was 30 people, it was really good in revenue, it was profitable. And those profits first funded like the first prototype of Content Cal was that no matter how complicated your content creation process was, whether you're like 30 people creating content for a social presence in a big business or three people, the process is basically the same. You need ideas, you need somewhere to write them down, you need to put them in a calendar so you know what you're posting on different days and you need to collaborate with creatives to make it happen. And that's where the genesis for Content Cow came from. It was like with an agency business and obviously that experience in corporates, the problem is fundamentally the same. The market for this type of product, you know, look at Hootsuite and others, but like the market is enormous, but nobody was approaching it from this kind of calendar interface, collaborative process where there was lots and lots of teams and people working on content at the same time. So built a prototype of Content Cow, like almost on the side to the agency. And then we sold it to all the agency clients as a bolt-on, which they all loved. And that's when we tried to then go out and start selling it sort of independently to the agency business. And as that started to get traction over a number of years, we almost pivoted basically the entire agency business into B2B SaaS and then from my agency brand into Content Cal. So it was a crazy journey. I'm definitely oversimplifying it, but you know, it was like a full transition from one business model to the next, basically. Can you just give us what eventually happened to Content Cal? And then again, we can rewind and dive more in the details of your project of how you went from an agency to Content Cal. But what eventually happened with Content Cal here? 
Yeah, the kind of speedy-ish version of the story is we scaled up, we raised a number of funding rounds and really, really grew the business. And like I said, we can dive into some of the details of that. But the end outcome was that we were acquired by Adobe last year, end of last year, which in itself was a crazy journey as a sort of mini part of the overall content cal ride, if you like, and just a phenomenal process to go through. And how Navig, having obviously been at Adobe for about six, seven months now, just an amazing team, an amazing brand and an amazing business right at the center of creativity and content to be part of. So yeah, it's a phenomenal result for kind of our investors and, and kind of everyone in the team. And it still feels a bit surreal to talk about it out loud. But yeah, we were acquired by Adobe. Well, how big did the company get before you actually sold it? In terms of people, about 60 people. In terms of revenue, I can't exactly remember. I mean, in the seven figures, so a good amount. But growth was really the key thing. I mean, with most startups, once you get to kind of past Series A and scaling, it's all about year-on-year growth. So well, we were tripling at one point and then just under tripling our revenue year on year from sort of the later stages as well. But we weren't at the stage where, you know, it's like 200 people or 500 people where it's kind of starting to get mini corporate. It still very much felt like that middle bit between startup and scale up kind of thing. Obviously, you're working for Adobe right now, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. I imagine they want you to stay on for a couple of years. At least that's what I've talked to other founders who've sold their bigger companies. But were you personally wealthy enough where you don't have to work again? Yeah, in theory. It always depends on people's spending profile, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I would say realistically, you know, there's a scenario where I could probably not. But I'm like most entrepreneurs, I'm not like that. I still want to get up every day and work really hard. I haven't lost any of the kind of grind or hustle or just like the energy, to be honest. I love business. And what I was saying when I was younger, that passion for growing businesses and product and development and sales and people and stuff, you know, I still get up every day with pretty much the same energy. Well, that's great. But also, I wonder... Did you have this projection when you were younger, like in your 20s or teens and having a idea that, hey, I want to make enough money that I don't have to work, but you still want to, like you said, but I'm just curious, like, did you have this goal or did it just kind of happen over time that you grew this much and you never thought you could? Yeah, it's quite interesting because I'm a planner, like by nature, I'm a real planner. I probably over-index too much, to be honest, on kind of writing up plans and stuff like that. And I think definitely not when I started from scratch that I thought, this was ever going to happen, basically. And when I mean started from scratch, you know, going into first jobs at uni, after uni, sorry. And then even when starting the agency, like, yeah, you, you kind of start with a, I would say more of a dream, if you like, or kind of, you know, a picture of where it would be great to end up here. And then I think as we got more traction with Content Cal, but even in the early days, I think I really did start to firstly feel that I was learning so much and growing every day so much that there could be a concept that at a young age, whatever a young age is, this like event might happen. And then I think back to the kind of planning concept, my goal with starting a business was kind of twofold. So one, I was always building a business to exit. You know, I was never trying to build a kind of cash flow profit business from scratch, hence why we took the agency to a SaaS business, raise lots of money, etc. But I always thought if I do a say a 10 year journey building a SaaS business or something like that, if it gets an exit, amazing. That's an incredible experience and, and what a great place to be. And if it falls over I just knew the learning would be so valuable for something that I would then go and do in my 30s or into my 40s or whatever it might be, depending on age. So like in my 20s, from a professional perspective, try and learn 20 years worth of business knowledge. You'll gather 20 years worth of business knowledge, but in a 10-year cycle. And I've probably, I probably feel like I've gathered like 30 and aged 30 years in the process. But like, yeah, I did have a goal to kind of try and drive it. But I think with goals, you never know when they work out or if they ever do. So it's always a process. And just to make sure I don't leave anyone behind who might not understand exactly what content cal, I imagine, does it stand for a content calendar? 
You got it. Yeah, exactly. So I'm smarter than I look. All right. So, <laughs> and the idea when, when you're working with those other companies and then you as an agency is that you are putting up Facebook posts or Twitter posts or whatever, writing articles for those bigger companies to try to gain more social profiles. So I guess people would think of them more even yeah. when you were working at, okay. And then a content calendar or content cal, as you said, is basically just something easy that I could go into. I could schedule, let's say eight posts over the next four weeks or whatever. If I already have them pre-written or whatever, to have them come out at certain times versus just posting them when I'm done. And it might be 11 p.m. on a Saturday night and no one's going to read it. Yeah, exactly. And I think the key thing for us was we were probably one of the first and we were probably, in my opinion, I'm going to say this obviously, but we're probably the best product on the market from a calendar, a content calendar perspective. Because I'd done the roles myself and the people that we brought into the business had a lot of exposure to social media management from a product perspective because we had an agency first where people were literally scratching your own itches like the face, but like they were writing content, doing it in spreadsheets. And then when we built Content Cal, it was a lifesaver for like our agency team and the clients. So we had an incredible like organic R&D process where we were able to build a product where we didn't need to have user interviews because we had 10 users in the room. And I think that's what enabled us to build such a great product. I think that's so key. Becoming your day one customer effectively by yourself before you actually sell it to other people. It's not something people think about that much building a tech startup, but I think it's really valuable, like having that subject matter expertise feeding into product development. First impressions are everything. So if you're looking to make an impact with your online content, you need Issue, the easiest way to make your creative ideas come to life and share everywhere you want to be seen. Issue is the all-in-one platform to create and distribute beautiful digital content from marketing materials to magazines to flipbooks and brochures and more. There's no need for endless scrolling through PDFs. Issue features your creative in an easy to view way on every device. Make it once and distribute it everywhere without reformatting. Your content is already optimized for engagement and ready to share. Issue also works seamlessly with tools you already use like Canva, Dropbox, and InDesign. Not only that, but Issue helps creators, marketers, designers, and really anyone who wants to make content that stands out. And guess what? You can start using Issue for free. They also offer premium features that give a more customized experience. Get started with Issue today for free. Or if you sign up for a premium account, you'll get 50% off when you go to issue.com slash podcast and use code millionaire. That's Issue, I-S-S-U-U dot com slash podcast and use promo code millionaire at checkout for your free account or 50% off your premium account. That's issue issuu.com slash podcast and use code millionaire. Hey there, millionaire interview listeners. We're going to take a quick second to talk about Hover, one of our sponsors. Have you ever thought about starting your own business, creating a brand, sharing your wealth of knowledge with the world, using your years of experience to create something for yourself? Hover wants to help you take that first step in getting your ideas off the ground. If you have a brand that you've always dreamt of building or a business you want to take online, the first step is finding your domain name. Hover makes this super simple with a clear and straightforward user experience, easy to use tools, and truly amazing support from friendly humans. It's never too late to step up to the plate and share what you have to offer. Getting online has helped thousands of people around the world reach new heights with their businesses. In addition to classics like .com, you can get extensions like .shop, .tech, and .art with over 400 more to choose from. 
you'll be able to find that perfect domain name for your business. One that's memorable, relevant, and boosts your brand. You can buy a domain, set up custom email boxes, and point it to your website in just a few clicks. If you ever run into trouble, help is just a phone call or chat away. Secure, simple, and reliable, Hover is a trusted and popular choice amongst millions of people launching any kind of brand or business. If you're ready to get your idea off the ground with the perfect domain name, head to hover.com forward slash millionaire to get 10% off your first Hover purchase. Definitely makes sense and look forward to, I guess, discussing the details on your transition and kind of how that works. So I guess if anyone wants to check it out, they just go to contentcal.com. Yeah, go to contactcal.com and check it out. And then also with Adobe, we've integrated into a product called Adobe Express. So you can actually literally now create graphics and flyers or whatever it is you want to create from scratch, but then literally then go out and actually do the content calendar piece and schedule it. So that's like the end-to-end play, which doesn't exist elsewhere. So that's really exciting. Well, is there anything else you think we should know before we rewind to your origin story? No, I don't think so. I think the only thing probably worth touching on for the audience is like the journey of building a business and selling it is a very surreal and intense process. I would say just going through anything like that is almost as intense, if not more than building the business. So it's quite interesting when I speak to people or just get feedback on the concept of what we've done. And I think it's still very hard for me to personally articulate just the amount of hours, work, you know, effort from our team, et cetera just to get a deal like that across the line. So I always try and emphasize that because that's a very real point of view. It's just as hard doing the kind of exit process than it is about building the business. So I think it's always important to kind of state that up front. Cool. Well, yeah, I mean, I don't mind diving into it now a little bit more and then we can rewind because then I'm probably going to be out of energy at the end of the interview to discuss it because it kind of does get sweeped on the rug because like we want to talk about the exciting stuff and starting your company. But yeah, how long did it take you to actually like sell from the beginning process of them reaching out? Are you reaching out and then to actual sell? Yeah, give or take six months. I can't remember the exact timeline. And like I said, there's some stuff on the Adobe deal we just can't go into for like different reasons. But like give or take six months and it was full on. You don't always know what's going on in any M&A deal for getting ours, but like It's a very strange process because, you know, ultimately the whole thing from beginning to start, no matter what is a negotiation, and there's always the kind of art of certain bits of information being shared at different times. And also from a seller perspective or someone who's kind of on the eye of the acquirer, like what can you share at different times? What's useful? What's not? What do you potentially need to hold back for whatever reasons? It's like a physically taxing thing because there's so much work that has to go in to kind of go through the process. But then it's also a very mentally challenging thing because well, firstly, it's like a very important thing to just go through as a kind of business owner, but also just the constant guessing work that goes through. And again, in any M&A process. So I guess the best way to describe it is I couldn't, because I've never done that kind of thing before, I could never have predicted about how difficult it was. And I think it's quite easy to sort of look from the outside when any business gets acquired and sort of see the headline and be like, oh, cool. And now I've seen those, I'm like, damn, (laughs) there's a lot of burnt out people behind the scenes, basically. So do you have an idea of even percentages that fall out? I guess it obviously depends. I guess after you're trying to get acquired, did you talk to other companies that had been acquired and get their feedback on what they said worked or didn't work? Yeah, we tried to do loads before. And and actually, because we had some help, we had like an investment bank involved in our deal just because of process and stuff. Obviously, we had the ability to just use them as a sounding board because they do that kind of thing all day long, obviously. so And just to pause, just because I'm reading profiles, because you raised money for content cow. So you had those types of people that you 
could go back and talk to because it's in their best interest to help you too, obviously, right? Totally. Yeah, we had loads of angels and two big VCs, again, who have all been through this stuff. So we, we were lucky. We had lots of people to call on for advice, which I think is so important, actually, at any stage. But yeah, I think we sort of needed that. But in terms of deals that fall over, I'd have no hard stats, but I do remember reading halfway through. I mean, I think it's more than the ones that go through. So you're in the kind of minority if you actually get it past the line, so to speak. It makes sense. I guess that's one positive I've never thought about with like venture capital. If you were going to get acquired, those guys are going to help you out versus if you're just by yourself and never raised money, I imagine it'd be much more complicated for you to figure out the best terms and how the process even worked. Definitely. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I'm, I'm invested obviously in other businesses and kind of advise other companies and some of which haven't raised money. They've been bootstrapped basically to reasonably big scale. And when it comes to structure of their business, not just like in terms of team, but also just, you know, behind the scenes in terms of boring stuff, but important stuff like shareholder agreements and T's and C's and legals, there's a whole process. Building a business is like soccer or football. It's like needing to learn how to play tennis. It's like a totally different game, basically. (laughs) And plus you're doing it more than likely kind of in your off hours when you're probably tired too. Totally. I could definitely see that. And then I imagine you're talking to a lot more lawyers at that point in time than you probably ever have before oh yeah (laughs) there's a lot of stuff to learn yeah legals financials the whole shebang like it is like i said it's literally like picking up a new sport and having to learn it from scratch and get really good at it really quickly which is always tough (laughs) sounds like you did do 30 years of learning in those 10 years like you said (laughs) earlier i mean i could imagine like you know even that process that's just something else that's different from building an actual business yeah definitely definitely all right well cool well i appreciate the overview i think you hit on a lot of good stuff I know you said you'd been in the UK for the last 10 to 12 years. Are you not originally from there? Yeah, no, I am definitely. Yeah, I think I don't know why I don't really know why I referenced that. I mean, I, I definitely almost came over to America. I was considering moving to New York or San Francisco sort of six years ago, really, to be fair, at the start of like the content called journey, but just didn't, well, no particular reason to be honest, but just never did. But it was always a dream of mine. So I still haven't written that one off yet, but I've got to figure out lots of logistics around that. But yeah, no, I grew up and I've always lived in the UK, but I've always flirted with the idea of moving to the states for a period well where do you grow up yeah so grew up in a place called winchester like i said which is a about an hour away from london it's a small town and then i went to a university in a place called cardiff which is it's like a capital city of wales so it's like i don't know two hours from winchester two hours from london and it's a small city still in reality so that was good fun for college and uni but i've lived in london like i said for about 12 years and london is probably the closest comparison probably is new york you know it's a hustle and bustle city it's not quite as skyscrapery driven in terms of landscape, but it's a real business focused, heavily influenced by multiple cultures, great restaurants, massive financial scene, obviously, and just a great place, I would say, to build a business and, and meet people and network and stuff. But it definitely has that kind of New York vibe where it's sort of also can be quite unforgiving. And if you don't like that kind of natural like pace of a city, it's not for you kind of thing. But I, I absolutely love it. So, you know, like I said, I've lived here for 12 years and it's just great fun. And then obviously you referenced the two larger companies that you cut your teeth on social media. But why don't we talk about when you eventually started your first agency, your first real company? How much money did you have? What was the name of it? Just give us a little bit of detail in the first even few months, if you can remember. Yeah, definitely. I mean, how much money did I have? <laughs> Not a lot. <laughs> like nothing effectively, realistically. Not that I had no money, but you know, it's kind of a typical story, right? You're, you're building your career from scratch. You're living paycheck to paycheck. And I started the agency very originally, I think literally with like £30, which is probably about $50. And that was a URL, a self-made website that I'd made using like Wix or WordPress or something like that. 
And I think I spent in addition to like that just to get like the brand, so to speak, off the ground, which was like a holding page. I don't know, like a couple of hundred dollars, pounds on just stuff like accountants and getting all the basics set up. But it cost me under a thousand dollars to set the whole thing up from scratch. And it was really like pedal to the metal. I was very lucky in that because of what I'd done at the corporates and the kind of work and the the nature of social media marketing was it was quite PRable. So I had a, um, I say personal brand. I had a very minimal personal brand in London for being known as your good young social media guy. And so getting clients and... Well, real quick, how did you get that? Were you like talking at events and stuff like that? Yeah, talking at events. And because social media marketing was so new and it was cool and it was fresh and all that kind of stuff, I managed to get placements in a lot of like the marketing trade press over here in the UK. So if a marketing director or kind of a community of really senior people might read, there was something over here used to be called Marketing Week campaign. And then there was this next gen 30 under 30 type event thing. I was in a lot of those really early. And so like I had this kind of social proof once I started my agency to say, hey, look, I've worked at these two large brands. Plus, I've been featured in all these kind of trade press magazines and speaking at events. The social proof was there basically to buy from me, if that makes sense. It made it much easier to actually sell the agency services. Okay. Well, perfect. Well, I mean, just thinking about anyone now who's coming out of college, who ends up getting with a bigger company, sounds like this is a perfect way to kind of get your name out there while you're still with a big company. And then people can take you as more legitimate when you actually do start your own first company. Definitely. Yeah, definitely. And I think the differences as well. So obviously, 12 years ago, whatever that was, using social media was much more about personal friendships and having fun, basically, and putting stupid pictures online. Now you can build personal brands without even having a third party news outlet or something give you any coverage. You can literally build and create a following on, say, LinkedIn for like, you know, tens or hundreds of thousands just by sharing your thoughts at a really young age. And and I would say that's one of the biggest differences, like you say, for anyone coming out of college, like don't be afraid to share your thoughts on the life of business, what you're doing, how you're learning, how you're growing and build that personal brand because that is like the accelerator I think to so many people's careers nowadays and I was just doing it the old school way (laughs) back in the day like I said where we didn't use LinkedIn for that it was mostly a recruitment platform and we certainly didn't use Facebook or Instagram for that kind of stuff it was more about going out to parties and posting dumb pictures (laughs) but like nowadays those things are like huge tools for business for people. Well yeah let's brainstorm for a little bit just to help anybody else who might be in your position who was like younger I guess it seems like there's a lot of work without any payoff. If they're starting off now, let's say they're 25 and they're working for like G&E or a big company, right? Procter & Gamble, something like that. I'm just trying to think like how they could just start doing it. I guess if they're in a certain division, they have to be motivated enough where they want to learn something very niche, right? I guess yours was social media. I don't know if there's any other way that you can think of other people who could start their own brand, if you will, or get credibility. So when they start off their own company, do you have any other like thoughts that might be able to help out other people listening? Cool. So yeah, the two things I would consider thinking about building that personal brand. So one is focus on, like you said, a niche. So it doesn't matter whether it's social media, you could be in finance, you could be in any part of like the business effectively, but like something you're passionate about is really important and something you really want to like build a kind of like thought leadership profile in or some sort of personal brand in. And then the second thing is really reframing your mind around the commitment it's going to take to do this. Like no one becomes known for something, whatever it might be, within less time than let's just say a year. So if you commit from day one, whatever day one is, that you're going to spend, I don't know, one hour a day, or you're going to write one post a week, or whatever it might be, it doesn't matter what the commitment is, but absolutely set like a goal 
And like with most things, like the more you put into it, the more that you're going to get out within the time frame. But you really commit to like one whole year of doing this properly. That's what's going to help you actually go about building a profile because content like strategies just in general, whether you're a business, a personal brand, etc., they all take time. Not like advertising where you can just spend a certain amount of money and get a certain amount of reach. Like you've got to build a constant flow of your thoughts that get out on the internet that people can read and digest and think about and decide if they like, if they don't like, whatever it might be. So it's like fitness. If you're trying to put on muscle or lose weight, you're going to take some time. You're going to need to do it. It's a slow build process. And it's exactly the same with content. It's going to take some time. It's a slow build process, but it compounds. Like when you get to a certain stage and you've got like 100 followers and then 500 and then 200, it really starts to build up basically. So my main thing would be like really make sure your mindset's straight on like it's going to take a year plus to build any sort of awareness. But the sooner you start, the sooner that clock starts ticking for that year. So that plus what time you can dedicate to it and then just run at it for as long as you can and iterate that as you go, just like anything else. Okay. Well, and what was the name of your agency? Just so I keep track of that too, that you started? Yeah, it was ASTP, which is just my initials. I kept it really simple. I couldn't think of a name. I didn't want to call it something digital or something social. And the domain was available. <laughs> so I, uh, I just bought that basically and ran with that for a couple of years. Nice. And so when you left Sky Media, which was your second job that we had kind of talked about, had you started the agency on the side already or did you just end Sky Media one day and the next week you started ASTP? Yeah, no, I'd put like the building blocks in place for the agency so that the day that I'd left, I could start. And then actually what happened was Sky said to me, hey, can you do two or three days a week? I can't remember. As your agency, you don't have to stay here employed, but you can literally join us as your agency. Therefore, we become a client, basically. And then the other two days or whatever, you can do whatever you want. We're just trying to retain you as an individual. And then that built up to us actually providing more services for them over time. So like that was really a huge boost in the first month because you could basically launch with like a huge national brand behind you from like an agency perspective. And obviously, you've got like an amazing client on day one. In the evenings, I was doing pitches to other clients and was able to really start. I think I had four main clients. And it's kind of the ironic thing that I was making more money from day one, working less hours <laughs> in my agency as just me at the start than I was when I was working full time for a big brand. But such is life sometimes. But when you left too, did you already know that these past client or I guess they're your past jobs that they were going to be clients right away? Like were they your first clients or just kind of walk us through getting your first client and how that's different from being a W2 employee. Yeah, totally. No, so I didn't know for sure. I didn't know, for example, Sky would keep me on for a few days and then actually let me do my own thing until right at the end of my contract with them. So that wasn't really like perfectly set up or anything. And then the cinema chain didn't become a client for like six months to a year afterwards. So that wasn't like a sure thing either. The first real client I actually got because I told someone at Sky at work in my notice period that I was starting an agency. And I was so surprised when I started telling people how many people went out of their way to help me. And I think so many people, if you're thinking about starting a business, it always feels really daunting that I don't know where my first client will come from. I'm really nervous about telling people or whatever. The reality is, and I've just seen this so many times now, the world will try, if you really want to do this, will try and people will respond and try and make this happen for you. Like generally speaking, if you want to do something with passion, commitment and like really high energy, the world will conspire to help you along the way. There will be downs. There's no two ways about it. But like I said, someone at work just said, that's amazing. I'm, you know, how exciting for you. Let me introduce you to this person who's done this before because I think you could learn from them. 
So, you know, two weeks later, I went off and met him for a coffee. There's another guy who had started agencies who was, I think he was actually in an earnout, funnily enough, or something like that, and wasn't able to start another agency. And then he had a client, but he couldn't work with them probably because he was in his earnout or something. And then he introduced me to them. And then I went out and did like three pitches over time. And the timing just aligned the pitches I'd gone and done in the evenings after work at Sky. They wanted to start again pretty close to day one when I launched the agency. So I think the key thing is once you start telling people what you're going to do, especially when you're starting from ground zero, you will be amazed if you ask for help or if you ask for intros or even if you just start telling people how many people want to help you succeed and win, basically. And I definitely wasn't expecting that. And I guess the only annotation I make to that is that they probably saw that you were like confident and that you wanted to be a leader because you were proving it, right? Because you're writing whatever content and I mean, going out to these social media meetings or whatever, you could tell you're a go-getter. Like if you're going to quit a job and you just think it's going to automatically happen, you've got to have the energy and make sure that you're good in your domain. It's not like if you're a normal employee, it's probably not going to happen as much as versus if you're a go-getter. And most go-getters are only the people who start businesses. But I just want to make that, I guess, assessment or make sure everyone understood that. You're 100% right. And I would say no matter how successful or perceived success that you have or whatever profile you build online, one thing I would say is, yes, at some point in your career, opportunities do come to you. But the best ones, so the best opportunities that are ever worth following up on, are the ones that are because someone recognizes you as a top quartile or top 1% performer. So even if you've done a big deal or you've built your credibility or whatever it might be, yes, then you're going to get some opportunities that naturally come to you. But the absolute cream of the crop deals come because you go again and you go again and you go again. And I think you see that in athletes. I think you see that in musicians. I think you see that in business. I just think the people that basically they're never done, so to speak, obviously need a rest every now and again, but like they're the ones that get the best deals, if that makes sense. And they're the ones where they don't expect anything to come to them, no matter what they've done kind of thing. So I'm always inspired by that angle. Yeah, that's great. How did you know how much to charge even your first client or the ones that you'd worked with in the past as a, an employee? Yeah, I was very lucky, right? Because I've worked with lots of agencies doing social media. We didn't do it all by ourselves. We had agency support. So I'd worked with probably seven social media agencies by the point that I started my own. So I had seven benchmarks to work off. <laughs> oh, that's perfect. Yeah, that definitely helps a lot. <laughs> okay. Yeah, exactly. Right. And you adjust. So when it was just me, I'd undercut everybody and, you know, but I could still make good money. And then as we grew, you put on overheads and all that kind of stuff. So I was very lucky, I think. And also, you know, not just me, but when you speak to people, you, you get a really good feel for it. The rule of thumb basically is you take a day rate that covers your base costs and some profit for you personally, if it's just you. And then effectively triple it when you actually start to add overhead because salaries is like the fixed bit, then it's overheads and then it's profit and it's a third, a third, a third. That's really oversimplifying it, but that's a basic rule of thumb to start thinking about. Yeah. Any basic rules of thumb, I think that help people get started out is obviously beneficial, especially if they're getting in your territory. And then it applies way more. And then especially if you're in the UK or whatnot. So that's definitely helpful. So what was the first year like in, in your agency and what was your personal life like? The first year was just, if I'm honest, it was fun. There was very few costs. We were very lucky to have a real good client base pretty much straight away. And it was just the feeling of complete freedom and fun. And there was obviously stress that comes with that, right? Because there just naturally is in building a business. I felt like I was living my dream, <laughs> which is so cringe to say, but I just remember every meeting I was buzzing about, the fact we signed clients was the best day ever. Even if we lost a client, like obviously it sucked, but 
I always take the quote from Mad Men because I'm a big fan of that show. It's like the day you win a client is the day you start losing them because that's just the way it is in agency land. But it was just amazing. And personal life, I think building a business, not just the first year, but even I don't even say it right until now, but like your personal life, you don't realize it when you're doing it. And it depends how old you are and stuff as well and how experienced you are and stuff. But that takes a hit without you realizing. So I would say if you think about personal life and let's just chop up three bits of it, whether you've got a relationship or kind of whatever your romantic piece is, your friendships and then your family, you will not dedicate a third, a third, a third of the time to that three groups at all times. And I think mine have flexed massively over the years. I was in a relationship, for example, when I started out, that didn't work out because I just, I was so enjoying the business bit. And if I took those two thirds, I would say most of it was spent between friends and family. So my relationship, for example, again, I was young, so it wouldn't have gone the whole way anyway, probably, but that didn't work out. But if you put more time into it, who knows kind of thing. So I think personal life is tough. Yeah. And and I don't think there's a formula for that. I think it's really difficult just at any stage of business. But, you know, as you get older as well, your, your personal kind of situation does become more important over time as well. So there's no science to that one, unfortunately. With Masterclass, you can learn from the world's best minds anytime, anywhere, at your own pace. You can learn a science-based approach to the art of persuasion, selling, and motivating yourself from Daniel Pink, or improve your negotiation skills from Chris Voss, or you can even learn how to be a disruptive entrepreneur from Richard Branson. And now with over 180 classes from a range of world-class instructors, that thing you've always wanted to do is closer than you think. Per the suggestion of my wife, I'm actually taking a non-business masterclass right now. It's with Emily Morse, and she's teaching me how to be a better lover. I've been taking meticulous notes, so we'll see if Emily's tips come in handy tonight. I highly recommend you check it out. This holiday, give one annual membership and get one free. Go to masterclass.com slash millionaire today. That's masterclass.com slash millionaire term supply my last name which is is a very renowned last name on the island there are only two branches of this family one is extremely rich what i mean by rich is this family they're billionaires so that's you i'm the other branch That's what you want to be. (laughs) (laughs) So if you want to jump on a call with yours truly and discuss how to become a billionaire, well then join Patreon today. And were you in downtown like London during this whole time or what part of London? Yeah, I was in pretty much, like I said, downtown London. So, I mean, I've never lived obviously in like proper downtown, downtown. Most people in London live in like what they call the commuter belt. I mean, same as most places. So you're kind of half an hour from the center. But London, again, like New York, each pocket has its own kind of vibrancy and culture and there's bars and there's restaurants. So you don't have to go into the center. But it was way before remote working was anywhere near as popular, obviously, it is now. And so all the meetings were in central London. And so it was like running around London, meeting to meeting, working in coffee shops or whatever it might be, pitching, then doing some work, next pitch, doing some work, coffee meeting, doing, you know, it was that kind of vibe for a couple of years, which was great fun. You kind of talked to us about year one and you kept saying we, was it still just you at that point in time or were there actually, you hired other people? 
Yeah, in the first six to nine months, I actually hired someone out of a client and an old colleague. So one of my first clients was someone who actually worked with me in the cinema chain. He worked in the sales department, as in the kind of corporate sales department. And obviously, I worked in the social media department. And then he'd moved on to work at a gym chain in the UK and wanted to generate brand awareness and leads from a social media perspective. So he hired me as their agency, if that makes sense. And then actually, as he was coming to the end of his, I suppose, phase at that company, and we were very close personally, I was like, I know nothing. And I didn't at the time knew anything about sales, as in, I didn't realize this at the time. But really, all my deals were coming from referrals and introductions. And as you said, people were buying into me and the go-getter energy and all that kind of stuff. But eventually, that can only go so far. But he knew outbound, inbound, proper conversion metrics, how to build a sales funnel, how to manage a sales team. And so he ended up joining the first six to nine months of Comrade when this is a guy called Noel, who's a legend. He's one of my best friends now. And yeah, we both just ran around London, like I said, for kind of two years. He ran like the commercial side of the company. I was the social media expert. And yes, how we built the agency in the early days. Can you expand on that? What do you mean by commercial side versus I kind of understand your side, I, I would think that you're doing the post, you're scheduling. I don't know if you're actually writing the content, but versus what he's doing on the commercial side that you said. Yeah. So he's, if you think he, his role was really drumming up new business. So he would, either whether it was him or whether it was using freelancers and stuff, actually doing outbound emails, meeting people, getting more deal flow, basically. He'd come to the meetings and I would almost be the expert. So if you think about it, like a kind of solutions consultant type character, I was the social media pro that we would, we, I would wheel out and I know all the things about their brand already. I'm doing the presentations, et cetera. Noel's kind of there as the key person, making sure we're understanding what their business requirements are making sure what I'm saying is like the right solution for them. What is the pricing that we charge? How are we going to take this from here? What is the next step? How do we get to the next meeting? Who's a decision maker? He's driving that side of things. So it's kind of like we get to play, Not it's not good cop, bad cop, because it's not like that, but the serious guy with the business bit, or certainly the commercial bit, and then the subject matter social media expert, who's going to take us from X to Y. So that was how we ran in pitches. And then how we actually ran the business was he initially... Work. We worked closely together, to be fair, but he really ran building the team because he had more experience in team building, structuring that, the kind of HR side of things. And then I would work with the people that we hired who always had a bit of experience, but I would work with them on refining like their social media marketing, their copywriting, as you say. So eventually all the social media stuff that I would do went to the team. And I was really just the, not just, but the key pitch character and problem solver internally. So I'd say, you know, to summarize it, he'd manage the commercial side, he'd manage the HR and making sure the buses run on time. And I was kind of floating in between all of that. And at the same time, starting to tinker with content cal as well. So yeah, that's kind of how we split him. And then as you say, you're tinkering with content cal. Again, that's the company that was bought by Adobe, but that's a different skill set than doing the agency. So were you just hiring people on Upwork to kind of mess with this? So you didn't have to necessarily go in and post at a certain time and whatnot? Tell us how you figured that out while you're building an agency. It seems like you're making revenue. You're happy that you're able to do that. But then you're building basically kind of the software component to help you out. Yeah. So we, we originally, well, the original way I approached it was I sketched out an entire app. <laughs> and I, you know, at the time, I just thought that was a natural thing to do because I'm not a designer. I'm definitely not a coder. So I just got lots of like A3 pieces of paper, a blue marker, and I sketched out an end-to-end -end experience of what I thought a great product would look like. And, you know, that's basically literally like a manual wireframe if you boil it down, if you've got a designer to do it or a UX, UI expert. 
And then I took those designs and like you said, I went on Upwork or the different versions of Upwork, got three or four different people to take some of my sketches and turn them into real designs. They were all rubbish. And then I talked to a family member who introduced me to a young guy called Lawrence Smith. I say young guy. He's not, well, we're all the same age, but at the time we were all so young. (laughs) Sounds ridiculous. But like a good friend, again, another one of my best friends now, and you know, he's been on the content cal journey with me the whole way. So he was a young at the time freelance UX UI designer, had just gone freelance. So quite similar in a way. I think he wanted to actually build an agency at the time in freelance UX UI. Anyway, he took my sketches and it was almost like a kind of creative partnership from day one. He totally nailed the brief. He, the product, the way he designed it was like perfect. And it was almost like that thing where you give someone something and they've actually made it 10 times better than you could ever imagine. And so he basically became the designer and in time, the product person. And really then over time, the mix of the both for Content Cow. And he did it for sort of a year freelance. And then as the journey to Content Cow got bigger and we raised more money and stuff, we managed to get him to come on board full time. It was like I say, it was an amazing creative partnership. And that's what I mean by tinkering. You know, I was using ASTP agency profits to fund his time. And then it got to a certain point where we couldn't continue to do that for lots of reasons. And I actually set up a separate business for Content Cow and raised some money for it and stuff like that. But started to basically build that really small team to build a software business. And then over time, very, very early on when we were just selling, like I said, the licenses to some of the agency customers as we built a prototype, but also very luckily been introduced to another good friend of mine called Vlad, who had a development agency and built the first prototype for basically sweat equity so as you can tell lots of favors were basically called in and he got some you know some sweat equity early on that we i was basically able to rope a prototype together for next to nothing (laughs) and that was something that was actually working and usable so we were able to basically build a revenue generating mvp from well i think it took six months give or take and what'd you build it on i can't remember (laughs) i honestly can't remember yeah i literally have no idea Honestly, like the first version was so long ago now. Well, what's it on now? Don't you use some, didn't you build it on something now? What is it using today? Off the top of my head, I haven't, do you know what? Just because of so much other stuff going on. I mean, it's it will TypeScript, Angular is the front end. I can't remember a lot of the stuff behind the scenes, to be perfectly honest with you. But, you know, the difference is with me, I can say those words. Do I really know what they mean? That's yeah. <laughs> the same here. But to me, it's always like understanding, even hearing these words help other people, like whether it's Ruby on Rails or something like that, that people use. You're like, okay, I'm learning the lingo, right, of building something if they didn't have anything. And just kind of understanding how things can change from different platforms, right? Like even when you said you started your first website, whether it was a Wix or WordPress or something like that. People just need to understand these basic terms and then they can Google them later, I guess, if you will. But understandable that you weren't a developer and that you don't necessarily know. But yeah, again, that's the only reason I kind of bring that stuff up from time to time. Yeah, no, I think that's a good call out. I mean, what I would say is I knew none of that stuff 10 years ago. I think I know 5% of it now. But what you learn is how to understand it, ask the right questions to make sure that you have an understanding of the differences, say, between Angular and something else or whatever. And then therefore able to make like balance and judgment decisions or empower other people to make those decisions to say, this is the right tech language to work with, or this is the right way to approach design and stuff. So yeah, it's such a good call out because I, I think lots of people think you need to be a developer, all this kind of stuff. I was definitely not a developer. I have never coded a product in my entire life, but I have been very hands-on with the process, the people, the skills, and don't let that get in the way. Yeah, if you're wanting to potentially start a business, it's daunting, but you can learn a lot as you go through the process. 
Yeah. And even here in your language, when you're talking earlier, you're talking about UX, UI and all these other things you kind of learn as you go. And again, it's like you have to understand all these basics, I think, in any business to understand who to talk to or what's even capable, right? If you don't understand even the kind of the basic lingo, you'll learn it as you go, but don't be scared because you don't know it. Because at some point, we all didn't know anything, right? I didn't know anything about a podcast and you didn't know anything about starting an agency, but you're able to do that, right? And you didn't know that you'd have to break it down into two companies, but you eventually did that. So don't be afraid to learn. And just because you don't know it today doesn't mean you can't figure it out over time. Totally. And I think having that attitude is arguably one of the most important skills in life and business that you do not need to know every ounce of everything to make a success of yourself professionally. And in some ways, learning the art of being able to actually ask questions and don't ever be afraid to ask the theoretically stupid questions, which there's no such thing, but ask the stupid questions that might feel like that, because that's how you learn. I just think what you've just said there is such an important thing, because whether you're starting out in your career, whether you're really advanced in your career, I ask questions every day. I'm like, I don't understand what this means. Can you explain it to me? And I think I've got to the point where I just, I don't care whether someone thinks that might sound stupid or not. I don't think it does anyway. But yeah, that is exactly the attitude to take. And, and just learning is the variable, right? But learning more and more and honing your skills and not being afraid of that is just so important. Absolutely. Because I'm like, that's the best thing you can do because you act like you know and you don't know. You could cost yourself a lot of money, right? Or just do something silly versus just people want to help people out. Kind of like you were saying earlier, like this goes back, like people naturally want to help people out if you ask for help. But if you don't ask for help, they don't know that you necessarily want help and they might not even like you, you know? So it's like, versus if you're asking for help, you're showing those people that, hey, you're probably smarter than me in this area. And even if you're not, at least I want to hear a different perspective or something of that nature that will help you in business throughout your lifetime, if you will. 100%. Yeah. I just echo everything you've just said, like literally 100%. It's exactly the way to think about it. Perfect. And then, so I guess as you transitioned from agency to company, you said you had to start a second company. Is there any reason why that might help other people who are listening of like why they had to set up it? I mean, I kind of understand that they're two different businesses. So just explain why you had to do that or if anyone's doing something like that within their business where they're kind of doing something to the side and maybe they should start a second business knowing that obviously you're not an accountant or a lawyer. So Yeah, totally. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the main thing really was, like you said, if there's someone else doing this, if say, for example, someone has an agency and they're thinking about starting a tech business as the best way to describe it. I don't know if this counts for every territory, obviously, but I think it broadly speaking is good advice. The two business models are completely different. The two ways you run the business are completely different. The types of people you will attract to work in those businesses are completely different. Simple things. The insurance profiles will be completely different. The way, and the biggest thing for me was the way you fund those businesses are completely different. Tech requires upfront capital investment. Agencies are very profitable if you get it right on day one kind of thing. So the reason was to simplify from day one in our journey to, you know, that they were two separate things. As you said, they were legally separate. They were operationally separate, although they, you know, they did have some merging between the two for natural reasons. But that was the thing. It was just really declaring in my own head in many ways. And also just like then, obviously, for investors and stuff over time, that these are two separate things. The interesting thing was we did actually end up merging them. It's not something I'd ever encourage or would have done again. But for the right or wrong reasons, we did actually go down that journey. But that was about pivoting one business to the next and doing that for lots of different reasons. My advice would basically be to anybody thinking about starting a business, you're not Elon Musk, you can probably only do one at a time. And that's what you should do. Focus on one thing and just 100% dedication to it. And yes, maybe you are the rare event where you could be an Elon Musk and do five businesses at the same time and whatever else. But like, 
most people, one is enough. And as soon as you learn to focus, and this is my personal learning, so this doesn't necessarily apply to everybody, but like as soon as you start focusing on one thing, typically that's when everything starts getting more results, basically, faster results, better results. So long-winded answer to that, but I'm a big fan of focus. I would never go down that route of having lots of businesses again, basically, not full-time anyway. Makes sense. Well, I guess over the last, say, I guess seven years where you've been doing content, Cal, are there any stories that stick out, whether they're horror stories or learning and positive ones that we can learn from before we close the interview? Yeah. The first thing I would say is just really focus on mental resilience. If you're a co-founding team, that's really great in many ways because you can share the horror stories, like you said, or the bad days. It's important to be able to share the bad days with an advisor or a colleague or whatever, because it's almost like therapy, just getting it out there kind of thing. So I think I'd really encourage everybody to just understand that I mean, I've talked a lot about mostly positives to be fair on this interview, but I think that, you know, the bad days are tough, man. So really have a process or have at least start to think about how you are going to manage that as an individual to remain resilient, you know, make sure you get the negative feelings out, don't bottle them up and stuff. So that would be one big thing. I think the other thing is around cash flow. I think so many people don't understand the complexity and how to run a good cash flow, especially when you start hiring people. If you extend your payment terms by like an extra five days or something, how much that can extend your business and all these types of things. It's very hard to do this, but thinking about how you need to manage your business in the bad times as well as the good times is super important. Like Brexit for us, obviously everybody probably knows roughly what Brexit is, but like that was terrible for us because you know, business was great, but nobody was paying anybody. <laughs> So like even if we'd build X, Y, and Z amount, which was more than enough to cover our bills and everything else, it didn't matter because no one was paying anybody in the UK for like seven months, which was crazy. So, you know, we had a really tough situation with that, which we managed to overcome. We got it to places where we just didn't need to get into that bad state if I'd have spoken to somebody. So like there's little things like that along the way, which were hugely stressful and totally avoidable. Well, real quick on that, because I mean, I kind of understand it. It's kind of like the terms you said earlier we were talking about. Can you explain the Brexit? And I didn't I totally understand that. I guess maybe UK businesses did not get paid. Walk us through that. So at least all of us understand from a business perspective what actually happened. Yeah, I mean, the Brexit vote, putting the politics aside, basically meant that the UK was obviously coming out of the European Union, which was a huge disruption from trade and basically all laws around how businesses dealt with the closest market and the biggest market to our country were going to be disconnected and nobody really knew anything about it. And I think, I can't remember exactly because it was a little while ago now, but markets crashed, all that kind of stuff. Basically, every business in the UK just stopped paying everybody, especially if you're a big business. Like they just, you know, you might have had 30 day payment terms. I don't think we got paid once for like 120 days. And it was because nobody knew what the fuck was going on. <laughs> so like... <laughs> That, for example, even though we had invoices, we were doing work, we were invoicing, there was no qualms on the day-to-day -day drive of it, and easily really could have got like invoice finance or some sort of loan or something to get us through that period. But I didn't know that at the time. So I was like, why the hell is nobody paying each other? And obviously I learned that the hard way. But basically every business just stopped paying each other till they really got some certainty about what the hell this thing meant. And to be honest, that's still going on now. It doesn't get talked about in the press as much, but the disruption of Brexit whether you agree with it or not, politically, whatever. It was a huge disruption to the UK and probably globally in reality in lots of different ways. But if you talk about what you asked in the original question, what would you watch out for? Like control what you can control. No one can control Brexit and stuff like that. But if you're not getting paid for whatever reason, it might be political, it might be economical, or it might just be someone isn't paying you. People have dealt with that before. <laughs> there is a blueprint for how to chase money or get a loan or whatever it might be. So 
Just bear in mind, most things in business have happened before and there's usually someone somewhere you could pick up the phone to to get advice. And I think that would be, again, one of my biggest bits of advice. Like I say this to everybody now, everything has been done before. There's always a crisis at some point in people's business life. There's always the good times. There's people challenges, whatever. Find someone who you can really learn from, who's been through it. You can pick up the phone and get the answer so much quicker than you realize. That makes sense. And thanks for sharing that. I mean, one thing that I remember when my professor saying in college is that, I mean, especially now, this was 12 years ago, at least, or something like that. Like, there's plenty of information on the internet. And you could do all day where I want to learn about Brexit or maybe breaking away two companies from one and just understanding all that. You should do, they call it just-in-time education. Just learn it as you need it, or else you're never going to get anything done because there's so much information available. We can be in front of Google for 18 hours a day, every day for the rest of our lives. But you should really wait till you need that information because things can change too. So obviously, like you said, you're able to figure out a way through it. And there will be hiccups that you can't plan for, like you just said. And I think we've all experienced that, obviously, with COVID. And there's other things personally where your personal life shit might go wrong. Your spouse might die. Your kids might pass away. You might die, right? It's like there's so many other things. And unfortunately, that's going to happen to all of us, I've heard. But there's so many things that are going to happen that wait till what happens. And once you get there, seek advice of others as you can. And hopefully these stories that we're bringing to you help out that you can think about the story. Remember that I heard this interview and go back to it and get more details and figure out from that. But I mean, there's going to be ups and downs in life and in business. So I guess just be prepared for it. Yeah, so true. And I love the phrase just in time education. I'm going to steal that. I think that's brilliant. Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah, I don't know if he used that term exactly, but I know that's exactly what he said. He's like, you just need to do it just in time. I'm telling you, this must have been at least 15 years ago. And there's probably like half the information there is on the internet that there is now. Because at that time, everyone was bookmarking. That was kind of when bookmarking came out. And then you have a thousand bookmarks. And then you're like, well, I forget how many bookmarks I have. And now there's so many websites that you're just going to end up Googling it. So good. I love it. I love that phrase so much. That's so good. Great. Well, glad I could help out too. So thanks for, again, sharing the ups and downs. Is there anything else that looking back that you think has made you successful? I mean, do you have a regimen of like when you wake up and go to bed versus when you were a W-2 employee? Or I try to figure out what helps other entrepreneurs where they don't think of to ask as far as waking up, going to sleep, how much they work and how they balance all that. Yeah. I mean, I'd say one of the things that's really important, which I'd really be like, I'd love to be, I prefer to be transparent about is to achieve some form of outsized success or to increase the chances, there's a better way of phrasing it, of achieving some form of outsized success. You need to be crazily committed. I did in the early stages and in some of the later stages, 16 hour days, not every single day, because that's not true, but like Monday to Thursday, 16 hour days or whatever, 12 hour days, Long days on Fridays, worked on Saturday mornings, worked on Sunday afternoons for like three or four years of the journey. And I don't think people talk about that honestly enough to say like, to be honest, I did that because I wanted to get ahead. And that's like the grit that I would say that ultimately, I think there are ways to achieve success not doing that kind of thing. But I think if I talk about like your first hit, let's just say like your first big deal or your first sale or whatever, first company sale. You do need to put in some outsized effort to get ahead at the end of the day because it's just the way it is. So I think that's one thing. I think the second thing is I've always been able to fuel myself off passion, energy and getting energy from business. And so back to one of our original points, do something that you're passionate about because it won't not that it won't feel like work. I don't think that's always true, but it will fuel your passion and that will fuel your work ethic and it will make you happy to do more hours. You won't feel like you're trying to push like a stone up a wall or whatever. So do something that really fuels your energy because that actually means you're in a circular motion yourself. The more you do, the more you're energetic you get until a point where obviously you need a break and stuff. So do something you're really passionate about. 
And then I'm a big fan of self-assessment, self-learning. I would do personal reviews, literally probably bizarre, but like I would take myself off to, I don't know, to a coffee shop, to a hotel, to a cabin in the woods, whatever, pretty much at the end of the year, religiously, and pretty much for the day or two, reflecting. I'd write up, what did I achieve this year? Did I achieve everything I set out to? What could I have done better? What did I do really well? What feedback have I got over the year that I have a chance to kind of reflect on? And I would write it up properly. And then I'd go into the next year being like, right, I've learned that. Here's my reflection. What's my goals for next year? What do I want to achieve? So I'm quite regimented around, like I said, this planning, right? And so I think having a very proactive approach to yourself is super important because if you start a business, no matter how many people you have, you're probably the leader in some way, shape or form. And everything you do, everything you say, and the energy you give off in in the room, on the calls, whatever, has a huge amount of impact. And so really hone your craft and your personal work ethic and style, because that's pretty much, I would say, like the biggest factor in people's success. Oh, I appreciate you becoming a Patreon. Yeah, absolutely, man. I've been listening to your stuff. And mostly it was really just to provide a little support. And I think I'll probably go up to the next level next year, because I think it's worthwhile to help support you for all the work you put in. But now that I can get down there and listen to the second parts and the calls with people, I think that's really important too. Well, thank you for the advice and thank you for the story and unpacking it all, I guess, pun intended, now that I just saw your last name there. (laughs) I guess if someone wants to say thank you for doing the interview, what's the best way for them to reach you? Yeah, and I appreciate it. I've had a great time doing this. I'm Alex Packham on everything. It's probably the easiest way to find me post a lot of content on LinkedIn, Alex Packer on Instagram, semi-active on there and Twitter and stuff. So yeah, happy to connect. We'd love to hear from people. And yeah, just like I said, really enjoyed the interview. I've had great fun doing this and just kind of going through the story. It's been really fun to reflect. Yeah. Well, thank you again for sharing your story on here, Alex. Thank you. But it's bad when you do it to your wife, though, because then you have to crash on the couch. <laughs> See, I have to sleep on the couch every night too, man. See, we're the same. Is that helpful at all, Gary? Say no. <laughs> Worst experience of my life. One star review. <laughs> yeah, thank you. I'm used to those. Wish I could leave no stars. <laughs> oh, yeah. Hell yeah. Oh, no. Thanks, guys. It was a really great experience. I feel like there's a lot to reflect on. So, yeah, thank you. And I can connect you with somebody, too. Okay. I have connections on that, so I can help you get it custom-made, dirt cheap. I'll share that with you. Look at that Patreon membership already paying off. Aww, look at that. Thanks for coming, member. Oh, well, I got to thank uh, my business partner. She signed me up because I've been talking about you. Well, awesome business partner. I'm going to have to use that as a plug to tell people to do the same thing. Yeah, yeah, it's really cool. But anyway, yeah, thanks for uh, setting this up. I get kind of the VIP treatment, I feel like. <laughs> I thought it was a lot more intimate than I thought it was going to be. Like anyone who's thinking about doing it, you'll be able to to get involved, ask a question, you know, which I don't have a lot of experience with other group calls, but I would assume that there's kind of a hierarchy to it. But this one, if you're in there, you're going to get your shot to ask an expert a question. So I tried to compare my group calls. I started joining random entrepreneur groups and just joining their group calls and try to see what they're like. Dude, the one you were on and all of them have kind of gone that way. They're all 10x better than any other group I've been in because become a member to find out. So with Patreon, I heard it many times because you have that many episodes of sign up. So that's always in the back of mind. But then I checked it out a few times and I was like, do I really want to do this? So I'll push it off a little bit and then 
you posted your goal achievement of 69 Patreon members. And I was like, you know what, what better time than now? Originally, I was going to go for the lower one, the $9 a month. But one, I want to have the conversation with you. But two, I always find that anytime I cheap out, I always find that I want to return it and upgrade to what I really, really wanted. So that's why I'm paying the higher one, if that makes sense. But it was just constantly pushing it off, pushing it off. And then I was just like, fuck it. I already listened to all of them. So why not?